Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Welcome to Good People, Cool Things. Today's guest is Sam George, and we're going to jump all the way back to 1995, which is when Sam first put together the strategy that ultimately led to cannabis being legalized in 18 states. Maybe even by the time you hear this, it'll be more, um, because a lot of states are, are legalizing marijuana, especially medical marijuana. So lots of goodness from that alone. But Sam has done so many other things. He's worked with Nancy Pelosi, George Soros, the University of Phoenix, and he's very good at identifying trends before they become trends. He was probably on Clubhouse in like 2018, back before that became a wild roller coaster of things. But we're chatting so much about the art of communication and immediate feedback, especially in our digital world here. Sam's latest book is called I'll Get Back to You, and it tackles the issue of why unreturned messages, those texts we send, those emails, uh, those even those social media messages that we send to people, maybe we'll get the read receipt back and they haven't responded, and it drives us bananas, B-A-N-A-S. That's Oh, no, I forgot an N in there. I'm spelling like Gwen Stefani and Holla Girl. Wild times, but... There's a lot of fascinating things in this episode. And if you've ever felt like, hey, I'm not being heard or I, I can't communicate very well with this person, there's so many good tips in here. So listen up. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can reach out on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at GPCT Podcast or send an email, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. I love hearing from you. I also love if you support the show via heading on over to Apple Podcasts. Dropping a five-star rating or review, it does help more people discover the show, despite what Apple may instill. It is fantastic for discovery. And you can also support the show via the shop, goodpeoplecoolthings.com slash shop. Very simple, very wonderful. Get yourself some nice swag, and you'll look stylish as all get up as you're listening to this episode with Sam. For people who are not familiar with you, can you give us your elevator pitch, but can you also tell us the type of elevator that we're riding on? Well, it would be an eleg- elevator that would be totally glass and there would be no floor. It would just be, you know, it would be, uh, it would be non-dimensional and I would be going up, but it's kind of hard to say what's going up when there are no dimensions. You know, I always wanted a glass house. So that's how I envisioned it, uh, an elevator, a glass elevator. I've been doing politics for for many years. That's really my vocation. Um, uh, My specialization is is ballot measures. Um, uh, I worked on a number of big ballot measures campaign. I'm the architect of the whole marijuana legalization, medical marijuana. Basically, in 1995, I was hired by three billionaires, including George Soros to put together a plan to legalize marijuana in America over 20, you know, a step-by-step process. And, um, and, and I came up with a ballot measure campaign and we passed state by state. And um, that is something that, uh, you know, I've also done big things with, like I helped elect, uh, you know, I work with Nancy Pelosi, not so much anymore. So, but initiatives, my true love, because you take ideas and, and they're about ideas, not just about, you know, who gets elected. They're much more creative. In terms of what I did in politics, um, I did communications, you know, messaging. You know, what's the one word that changes everything? Well, in the case of uh, marijuana, the one word was medical, you know. 
And that word changed everything. And it's not because it was a euphemism for, oh, sick people. No, what it did is it was a metaphor to show that doctors, the medical community was in control because people trust doc, you know, the medical community, the time of law enforcement. So that's the kind of messaging I do. And, uh, you know, that's my background. In the last five to 10 years, last five years, especially, I've moved my whole thing from radio and television into digital. I do digital communications, digital strategy um, with nonprofit and political organizations and a couple of PACs. And uh, that that's insignificant because it allowed me in terms of the actual answer here and to be able to assess the situation, um, it, it gave me the background to, to then uh, give ideas to people of how to improve their situation, which we can talk about later. But I will be, I brought that expertise um, uh, to the book. So that's my background and I, you know, that's some of my background. Anything else you'd like to know? Was there a specific platform or moment within the digital space where you like that made you change your focus to that? Or were you just seeing generally how the world was going? No, it was just a natural transition too, because you're not wanting to be, it was easy, you know, basically I was phasing out. Cause you know, like if you're in the battlefield, you know, I just couldn't handle, <laughs> you know, the kind of stuff you see on CNN. So it was just a natural, you know, transition as I pulled away. Um, I saw the power here. I've been involved in it for a long time. I goes back. What I was involved in the University of Phoenix online, the first uh, university about twenty some years ago when they went online and um, did research for them. Uh, this is the focus groups I was telling you about um, at the time that they they were trying to consider basically when they went online with their first university whether they would. Uh, you know, speak through a Zoom-like interface or um, whether they would uh, communicate. And teams are very important. So I tested all different kinds of forms, phones, uh, Zoom, thing, all kinds of different platforms, did focus groups across the country and found that their team should actually use phones, okay, <laughs> for conference calls. Because uh, uh, so I guess what I'm trying to say is I have a, a, a very optimistic of the future of digital but what I've learned is that there are some dangerous components of digital that it's not, it's the, it's so, what the problem is really is that digital um, is now so big. I mean, it's the primary means of communication and that is to the exclusion of, of talk, of conversation, you know, the exclusion of that. And, um, you know, for millennia, we relied on, since then, this is arguably the biggest shifts, bigger than the printing press, because for the first time, we don't talk to each other. Because, I mean, I hate, to, I'm going to, you know, words matter. You know, I mean, like the definitions of words matter. And you can't talk through emails and text because talking says speech, and the word conversation says talking to someone. You know, and so I mean, but what's beneath that, what the, what the pivotal concept is not just the, the speaking, but rather the fact that there's immediate feedback. That is the ultimate problem of digital communication. There is no immediate feedback and uh, we are not set up for that. And uh, so there is a negative 
in terms of the problems that situation has created, both psychologically, as well as obviously in terms of communication, but it's also affected on the other side because this is taking a greater uh, part of the bandwidth. It's, it's pushing conversation and talk. You know, it used to be, oh, we talked for hours. We talked all night. Well, I haven't talked to hours, you know? I mean, essentially we're in a situation where, uh, uh, you know, calling people is the last resort. We're just so used to this. And that interaction is important for our for our, for a well-being and, and humans. So um, these two things are, are, are very significant. Um, but that is just the context of what I call the discommunication crisis. And you kind of touch on this, uh, and more than touch on this, you dive into this in your book. I'll get back to you, which I think asks a a question. I know. I mean, I know I'm guilty of this, and I've certainly had other people make comments along the same lines. But when we send a message to someone, whether it's a text or a social media message or an email or things like that, and they don't respond back, especially if they're, they've got the read receipts on and we see that they've read it and it just makes us go crazy. We're like, why, why have they not responded back? And I think we stress ourselves out a lot more than we need to for that. Why is that? <laughs> because I'm not a, you know, a trained psychologist. So I've been in a psychology office for a long time, but I'm not a trained psychologist. I learned the other way, another side of the couch. But I can tell you that, the, that it is psychological. Um, so there's this thing that happens to people, and I've done polling and, and focus groups that I can talk to you about. But essentially, when somebody doesn't return our message, um, no matter what the format, but particularly email or text or something, you know, electronic, uh, what happens is that first, um, there's anxiety and a sense of restlessness, um, and, you know, maybe agitation. Uh, I mean, we start wondering very quickly that starts happening pretty early. Like, Oh, I sent him a one or three, no, three o'clock. And, uh, it doesn't take long before we start to, we decide, Hey, something's wrong like why what is why is something wrong you know <laughs> you know you don't return messages for a long time but you decide something's wrong and that whatever is wrong must have to do with you and here's the crazy part we immediately universally jump to the worst case scenario the worst possible explanation to explain this right and if you try and tell yourself blah 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 it won't last for a minute You'll just keep on going back to the to the worst case scenario, and uh, from there it just takes on a life of its own. Once you start with the worst case scenario and you catastrophize, it forms a loop and it can sort of continues, and it's kind of hard to get out of your head. It becomes a negative loop. Um, Donna, I mean, uh, you know, once said, you know, uh, the it was a that. I'm not going to quote it. It's, it. I think it's in my book, uh, Lady Gaga, actually. You know, I can't hear the music in my head um, because there's so many negative uh, loops. Uh, the loops keep on repeating. But the bottom line is this creates noise in our mind. We think about it a lot. Um, and, and according to my research, uh, uh, to summarize via the research, that about 70% of the people uh, generally, because they have different answers, that uh, one, experience the anxiety and agitation, 
two, uh, jump to the worst case scenario, and three, catastrophize and reprocess in their heads, okay? That's, those are the fundamentals. And this is, in fact, a sequence or uh, a syndrome. I call it the discommunication syndrome. Somebody on my last show asked me, why don't I call it the Sam George syndrome? You know, it, it actually is a real syndrome. And is there a way to overcome it? You were, you were saying how you can, you know, try and tell yourself these things like it's not the worst case scenario, but then shortly after we're going back to this kind of doomsday, <laughs> doomsday sort of uh, situation going on. So is there a way to overcome it or is this just part of life? Well, the reason we do this is because of our brain. It's not because, you know, there's all kinds of books about negative loops and why we tell ourselves the stories we tell ourselves and blah, blah, blah. Positives, honestly, it's, it's like, a cliche. And it turns out, at least in short-term situations, I mean, some people have long-term problems, but it turns out in short-term situations that it's simply the way your brain processes information. The brain processes information, and this gets some of the people, when I get into this, it gets kind of like their eyes glaze over, but I think you're smart enough, Joey. But, but, but uh, uh, when the brain processes information through through patterns, it's called pattern recognition. Everything has to have a pattern. And what happens in an, in an indeterminate area, uh, you know, this is a broken loop. We don't know the story. So the brain is forcing us. We don't come up with these, we're, we're forced. Why do you think we so quickly, universally come up to worst case scenarios? Because the brain is using the worst case scenario, it's pushing us into it because it's a way to definitively complete its path so it can store the information. And that's the reason. I mean, why else would we continue to do this? We know, uh, you know, like 80%, of the, 90% of the people, 86% of the people say, hey, I mean, this rarely, rarely turns out to be true. These fantasies we're thinking in our head. We suspect our girlfriend, our wives, betrayal. You know, we suspect our boss of firing. I mean, all these crazy things. So what is obviously something, you know, it has to be something deep. So it really doesn't matter how confident you are, whether you do yoga or don't do yoga or whatever. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're insecure, if you're first child, third child. These negative loops are, are, are a fact of life. And it's not just true about unreturned messages. What do you do when someone's late? The first place you jump to, boom. Oh, it was an accident. You know, it's, again, the brain filling in the pattern. Um, there's a number. You haven't heard back about a job. Well, I'm not going to get into it, but essentially the, what, what the problem in here is in conversation is that it's a particular problem because it's not just a one-shot thing like someone's late. It's an actual conversation. And so that gets back to the problem is that this happens all the time. And it happens. You don't have to go into the full-scale syndrome. People are thinking all the time about emails they've got out. You know, people are, are kind of trying to process the feedback and actually in writing the email, right? Well, what would they think? Blah, blah, blah. And, and, and so one of the greatest things, so what, you know, because we're afraid that, that, that they'll misunderstand us. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's it. But there are ways, you know, a, a preemptive strategy is the way around this. Listen, we have to get back to, so, so essentially, yes, the book is about unreturned messages. I mean, but it's really the, 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 it's really the lens that opens up the whole digital 
crisis of communication. And that is the lack of immediate feedback. Talking and conversation that Google has, emails and texts are not conversations. And you know, technically by the dictionary, they're not because of speech, but what is implicit in that is, is immediate feedback like we have right now. This is a conversation, you know? So, but our conversations have become digital and they're not conversations. And, and it's, it, it's caused a lot of miscommunication. It causes a tremendous amount of anxiety. And, you know, we can't think outside of this. So we don't realize, you know, where we're at. You know, I wonder sometimes if phones came now, maybe people would jump off the ship, <laughs> you know? Oh, wow, you know, this is great. <laughs> we could talk to people again. You know, what happens if phones came later? I wonder. So, uh, so that's, uh, that's that. So basically you have the discommunication crisis the setup is this, um, you know, digital communications and uh, the lack of immediate feedback. There is this psychological syndrome that's created by the way our brains process patterns. And, 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 and that's quite independent of that, but it's highlighted because of digital communications. And then, you know, so what you have to do is develop a preemptive strategy to um, get your messages conveyed clearly, to get quick responses, to get clear responses, um, to get as close to, the quicker the response, not just for your own psychology, the more healthy the relationship is. Because immediate feedback, I, have you ever done one of these shows over text? No, no, definitely not. <laughs> you really couldn't do it, right? I mean, you really couldn't do it. I mean, without, it's, it's the feedback. Why do we have all these messages? Well, this would be about 500. You know, people, you have to constantly go back and forth to clarify, you know, this is the key. It really isn't technology. The revolution, which is a, bigger than the printing press, in my opinion, is that we don't have instant feedback. And this is not about books. This is about human relationships. And it causes a great deal of stress. I mean, the number of breakups over uh, by text message, the number of, Ah, it's just tremendous anxiety. And, you know, people in your generation are the ones that are the highest, you know, are the most sensitive about it, the most upset about it. The younger the person, it's a direct correlation about how much this bothers them, because essentially this takes up a, they have a lot of communications through this medium. So, um, so did I give you enough of the, are you clear in the cons of the overall situation here? Yes. And I appreciate you calling me young. Saying I'm part of the youngest generation. How I start this book out, I just want to get how before I get into the solution is how severe this is. Do you remember? Have you the Cuban Missile Crisis? Did you read about that in school? Mm -hmm. Okay, for the viewers, that there was a time when the United States was in a cold war with Russia, and it was to a state of being. Each side had nuclear weapons. I mean, we had regular, we had regular, actually it was before I was still too young, but they had regular testing and alarms and all kinds of things. They, they, there was a general feeling that the end of the world was a click away and that it, we were headed, you know, that if something happened between Russia and the United States, we'd go to nuclear war. And uh, this came to a head in 1963 in Cuba. Uh, the Russia basically moved missiles into Cuba. Now, can you imagine if China did that today? <laughs> but here's what happened. Rather than having a conversation, um, they basically did this through Telegram. 
And uh, the telegrams between Khrushchev and Kennedy, it was crazy, it kept on getting worse and worse and worse. And we almost came, I mean, it's the closest we've ever come to the end of the world. It was very close. Um, but what happened is Bobby Kennedy, who was a very direct, but John's son, I mean, brother, went to the uh, ambassador in, in, in D.C., camped out because he wouldn't talk to him for uh, almost, I don't know, for the whole day. And finally, they talked, and, and Robert Kennedy was a real direct guy. And they cut a deal right there. So this could have been averted had they had direct feedback, had they been, it doesn't even have to be face to face, but you have to have this kind of feedback, you know, like you and I have to be able to process meaning and information. And so what did they do after that? They installed a hotline, okay? They did away with the telegram and they installed a hotline. That's what they do. On the brink of World War III, the answer was immediate feedback, a hotline. And you can see that just highlights, you know, in a macro way, what the danger is here. It really is. Um, so, so that's that's. I mean, I truly believe. As I started writing, if I, you know, after I wrote it, I, I mean, I became. I saw more and more just how serious the situation is. That that, uh, you know, I I think it's a threat. I do. But but uh, but to stay on message, so we can't. We can't change the role. You know, we can't go back. We can't return. You know, were we happier in a role without mail? Maybe, probably. But but you know, it's here to stay in text, and it's only getting bigger, and it's only driving things more, you know, chaotic and more anxieties. There's more platforms. You know, I mean, that I don't know. But essentially, so what do we do? But what we do is we have to try and get someone to answer our communication as quickly as possible primarily so we don't go into the psychological spin but more importantly is because the closer we get to immediate feedback the better the communication and the the more you know the overall quality of communication um, will be higher and uh, so that's what we that's what we can do now and to do that, um, I can just give you, I, I have a, two chapters and I don't know, zillions of, you know, ideas, but I'm just going to give you a thumbnail, some three, some basic things that people should do that they don't do. Well, the first thing in the case of emails is that we, as a digital fundraiser, I can tell you, the worst thing to put in your subject line is the subject, okay? Because the problem here is that people are filing, they see your email, they file it, they plan to get back to you. So if you put a subject that's familiar to them, you know what I mean? They're not, they're not going to even open it up right away. Then they frequently forget or, you know, they remember later. Meanwhile, you're catastrophizing. So the first thing is you do, you know, like, uh, I mean, in our business, we, you know, it's pretty aggressive. I mean, it's like, oh, your prescription's expiring. You know, that'd get a lot of people to open your email. But all you really need to do as in, you know, as people, what I tell people on shows like this is just do a pattern interrupt. Think of the first word that comes to your head. Come up with a word, Joey. Volcano just came to my mind. 
<laughs> okay, they'll put volcano on the subject line. I guarantee you they'll open it up quickly. You know what I mean? I mean, put volcano on the subject line. Honest to God, you know? And they won't even, you believe it, they're not going to even ask you why. I mean, people get so much crap. You think they got time to figure out what the causality of the subject line? Come on. <laughs> so put volcano, and they'll, they'll open it up. Once they open up the email, they'll respond fairly quickly. Okay. That's the key to get them to open the email. The next key is, uh, and this now applies to text, is, um, is uh, uh, you can't put in text, you know, a subject line per se. I don't think it's good to create curiosity out of the front with text. So I, I want to be careful not to use that strategy with text messages, but with, with, with emails, definitely. Um, when we look at our fundraising emails, people give right on the spot. I mean, you know, cause they want to complete the loop, right? They don't go back later and, 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 and contribute. So I know that this is a proven strategy and every marketer in the world, you know, whatever they're selling, you know, uh, uh, uses this. So the second component is the, is the most important thing in the world. Your first name, Joey. Joey, Joey, Joey. Uh, there's nothing more important. They've done numerous societies where they uh, studies where they wired people up. There is nothing that human beings respond to uh, that stimulates them more than their own first name, Joey. And um, so on an email, you use their first names three times, not less than three times, always addressed on an email. Dear Joey, and then we'll talk about later at a call at a very pivotal point, you put Joey, comma, and then you go, thanks, Joey, comma. So, I mean, there's a, however you do it, you should mention the person's three names because the, the next biggest problem of people not opening your emails, okay, is they scan them. Oh my gosh. And one of my recommendations is never put two subjects in, a, in, a, in an email. <laughs> I can't tell you. I work with people all the time. I have staff. Oh, they miss things all the time. So now, I mean, that's just one of my, that's a more, uh, you know, interior solution, more, it's a second tier thing, but you can't even, I, I tell people, don't even put two subjects in an email because they'll miss it. So, so, you know, you, in other words, you don't, you know, so you just keep it real simple. Uh, you start with a subject line. Volcano, and then you address someone, Joey, and then you say, okay, Joey, now I'm going to tell you uh, why this works, and then thanks, Joey, Sam. The, in text messages, it's very important, too. This is crucial. Almost never do we get a text message from someone that addresses us by name. Of course, that's because our name shows up, right? It's programmed in the phone. Doesn't matter, Joey, comma, this is Sam. You know what I mean? And absolutely start the text message with the person's first name, period, unilaterally. This is the way to get a response. Um, at that point, you've got their interest. You've engaged them. You've pushed that button. Um, I mean, just, it's very powerful. Joey, I don't know. I mean, if somebody you know forgets your name, you can kind of tell you haven't seen them in a while. I don't feel so good. If, if somebody like a store clerk, or whatever, remembers my name, I'm like, wow, wow, you know, feel good. And, uh, you know, there's, like I said, there's research to support that. So, so that's how important the names, basically the, the quantity of missing the emails 
is a big issue because of what the consequences are. The next uh, biggest issue is people not opening the emails. Then there's the issue if they open the emails, they just scan them. Nobody reads an email or text the way they would a page in a book. No, they don't. You write it that way, but they don't read it that way. And so to stop them, to try and get them to, to stay connected to what you've written, you just use their first name. And, you know, at the same time, you validate them. I mean, you know, just using their name, you don't have to say you're great. It's just this, your name, Joey, is validation. And so it makes them feel better. And then the important thing is, okay, Joey, we get emails. You probably get emails and you really don't know what they're, what they're driving at, correct? Oh, for sure. Okay. So all emails unilaterally and text messages should have a question very early on. No matter what the email is about, ask a question. Make it short or whatever the text conversation is about, ask a question right out of the gate. You know what I mean? In the case of the text message, probably in the second text, uh, and the, you know, at, you must always ask a question because a question forces people to respond. But I have to make sure that the answer is not what do you think or how do you feel about this or you know all these things that you see all the time when people ask us questions. No, it can't be open-ended like that because then they really are puzzled. What do I think about what? <laughs> you want my feedback about what? You know what feedback? So so what, what particular part? So you ask them very clearly what's called like a yes, no, either or, uh, agree, disagree. You use that framework. And you by doing that, you create a, what's known in psychology as a limit situation. So one, you're going to push them to respond by the fact that you're asking a question. And secondly, by making it not an open-ended question, but a kind of either or, yes, no, agree, disagree, then you're uh, basically even forcing them more to respond because it, it's very clear uh, that they have to, what their choices uh, are to respond. Yes, no, okay. Um, it, you have, it's a little bit sensitive, you know, you have to kind of word things, you know I mean, in a way that you don't, you know, it's not, you can't say yes or no on everything. But I do feel that uh, uh, agree, disagree is a, is, a very, is a very easy way to, you can weave that into, uh, you know, you can ask other questions, which are, you know, uh, but, but, but I mean, essentially, you must ask a question uh, if you want to get your email returned quickly. And that the, the answer, you'll get it better on a higher level is, is, is that it be a closed-ended yes, no, either or with. I'm, I'm kind of envisioning it as when you have a, a blank page with like a cursor and they just say, write whatever. And you're you're like panicking because it's just like wait i have to think of everything in the world but if you're if you're kind of guiding them a little bit it helps it's very simple use the person's three names always introduce the in the text message always use people's names they'll like you more people love their first names i mean they really do it's unconscious i had a chiropractor once who was filling in from florida it was terrible in 15 minutes he must have mentioned my name 26 times I knew it. It irritated. But when I walked out of there, I felt great. <laughs> I mean, you know, they've done studies on this. It's just basically, you know, it just uh, talk about dopamine. It goes right into the reward center. So finally, a lot of us 
So, yeah, I mean, here's an example of feedback. A lot of us don't know exactly what they're driving at or what they mean or what really what what the response or exactly. But that gets back to feedback. And the problem in, and this is opens up the door for misunderstanding, is it's awkward, right? If you and I are having a conversation like that and I don't understand something, you say really in real time, boom, okay? But when we don't understand something, if we go back to them, it's a it's awkward. It's kind of like, you know, what did you mean here? You know, and then so so that all of this is trying to illustrate that what we're trying to do is get your message returned as quickly as possible. And so you can respond as quickly as possible to them to get closer and closer to real time communications within the digital world. Um, I believe that there's hope for interactive stuff, but it, you know, I'll talk about that later and when I close. And then finally, the most important thing, you know, I'm just going to do three things here is follow up. Oh my gosh, people will freak out and you think that, well, why don't they follow up? 80% of the people welcome a, you know, a follow-up and the other people didn't really say no. I mean, they said whatever, you know, they didn't really have a reply. Uh, I mean, I think maybe five or 7% said they didn't like it. So you have to follow up within 24 hours of a text or email follow-up. Um, that's for sure, uh, follow-up because uh, that just should be like rope. But in the case of both of these mediums, don't, don't, you don't have to, to uh, I'll use email, but it's applicable for, for text. Just rewrite the same message, okay? And you know, with email, it's a different subject line. In the case of text, you just reformat a little bit, you know? Uh, or, or just write it just like you did, you know, like you hadn't sent the other one. There's no sense, what people will get, uh, upset about is if you challenge them and put them on the defensive and say, hey, did you get my message or why haven't you responded? Oh, no, no, that, that does cause problems. But as long as you don't challenge them, you know what I mean? So uh, I would recommend never saying, referencing that they didn't return the message on text or emails. Just proceed forward. I'll give you an example. An email, you put a new subject line, edit, copy, paste, boom, gone. Don't change anything. And actually, I would do the same in text, but you know, like you hadn't said it before, hadn't said it before. And and believe me, there's so much stuff going out there, Joey. No one's going to ask why. <laughs> believe me, uh, we need the response. There's so much incoming. There's so much stimulation. There are so many platforms. It's a favor to people to remind them. It really is. I can't tell you how many emails and stuff that I miss. And, and, you know, so, so those are the kinds of basics things you can do. Now it's more complex, but we need protocols for emails and text. We do, we need the same kinds of things that we grow up. We develop protocols for the way that we speak. Okay. This is, this is what we're, what I'm suggesting here is we're developing protocols of how to communicate uh, with digital communication. If we didn't learn the same kinds of things that we learned growing up with language, uh, and, and, and speech, then we wouldn't be able to communicate. And effectively, we're not being able to communicate very well digitally without those protocols. You're almost off the hook here, but we always like to wrap up with a top three. And it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a, a nice left turn here. But I'm very curious about this. And maybe you can give just kind of like a, a fun fact for each of them. But your top three presidents... Well, I think Franklin Roosevelt was a very important president because he, he had the 
he he was president for the longest point. Uh, he was president during the most difficult time in America, following the Depression and through World War II. Uh, Roosevelt is the greatest president uh, in terms of an overall president, uh, in terms of being president, uh, changing history. Um, no one, you know, uh, is as pivotal to world history as, as Franklin Roosevelt. He did an excellent job over four terms, almost five. Um, John Kennedy is a profile in courage, the penultimate definition of what a leader is. Now, he didn't have time to be a good president, okay? I mean, many of his ideas were carried forward by Lyndon Johnson, but John Kennedy is the essence of leadership, and he is the paragon. I can't think of a leader anywhere that is a greater paragon of leadership than John Kennedy. Donald Trump, no one is funnier than Donald Trump that's held elected office or anything in this country. The entertainment of Donald Trump is, I mean, it's nonstop. Uh, he, uh, I mean, the comedians have a joke with it. So, so, so Donald Trump is absolutely uh, the funniest president and the more, I wouldn't just say funny, entertaining. He's entertaining. He's stimulating. He's entertaining. Entertaining doesn't mean necessarily like podcasts. You know, people think of entertainment as like entertainment tonight. No, entertainment. I mean, really podcast entertainment is you're trying to engage people, keep people interested. He's very good at that. And I do think that, you know, he really, in terms of he's the first person who really broke the paradigm. I mean, there's been no other president. We talked about a disconnect. You know, volcano. Well, that's Trump. So I, I do think that that those aspects, um, you know, and of course, he brought to the presidency. I'm not going to list this as a reason why I think he's up there, but he brought, you know, the using digital technology tweets um, to the process, which was to against which hurt him. But uh, but, uh, you know, anyway, so so I mean, Joe Roosevelt is the most important president in America. He, he shaped the modern world, both for America and Europe and the whole world. Um, John Kennedy is a paragon, a profile in courage, the essence of what leadership is. Every person who wants to study leadership should study him. And Donald Trump is, uh, is a very special man. I don't know anything like anybody like him. And uh, listen, I wouldn't vote for Donald Trump, and I, I have you know on, only negative things to say about his policy and his demeanor. But he changed; he he really broke the paradigm of what it means to be a president. And um, so I think that you know deconstruction is reconstruction, and so that deconstructive moment I think will be in the long run healthy uh, for the nation as long as it doesn't happen again. <laughs> <laughs> So, so uh, you know, but I do admire all three of them. I do. I do. Fantastic. Well, Sam, if people want to learn more about you or check out copies of your books, see all about your background, all that good stuff, where can they find you? The simplest way to do this in this day and age is, you know, it's kind of hard to Google through. I mean, Amazon is search thing. So the, the website is called Discommunication, D-Y-S Communication. Um, uh, com, discommunication com. And there's my book, my profile, more about me. And, uh, you know, that's, that is the best way to get a hold of me. 
um, and you can contact me there. But um, I really appreciate this opportunity. I hope I hope this went well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I've got my uh, my checklist handy now for the next time I'm sending emails. Just resending it with a new subject line is is brilliant. I love it. Yeah. About that first name. I mean, that first name thing is really important, especially with text messaging. That first name thing is a silver bullet. Okay. Fantastic. Well, Sam, thank you again for hopping on. And of course, we got to wrap up with a corny joke, as we always do. And I tried to make it topical. Why was the cell phone wearing glasses? Because he lost his contacts. Good after it today, Joe. You're good. You know, you're well. <laughs> probably have done some comedy work. Good people, cool things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, Joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.